0: I'm Jock Wilson, and this is Football North. Coming up on today's show, we're going to discuss the pros and cons of community ownership versus private ownership in the Canadian Football League. Hey, is one better than the other for the CFL model? It's debatable, of course. The Edmonton Elks, they're community-owned. So are the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We're going to check in with Morley Scott, the voice of the Edmonton Elks, a little bit later on, and Kelly Moore from CJOB in Winnipeg. But first... Let's call this a Stern message. Gary Stern is the owner of the Montreal Alouettes. He is very, very passionate about this league, and he has become very active on social media. He's made some bold predictions. Gary, it's interesting. You used to shy away from media interviews. Now you're endorsing them. What has changed?
1: Um, Difficult question. (laughs) I, I hated being in the public life. I'm a private person. Um, but I'm very passionate about the CFL, very passionate about the Montreal Alouettes, And I think we have to get a message out there. And, uh, the best way to do it, um, is social media through people like yourselves and other podcasts and TV and Twitter. And, um, I found some of it quite enjoyable. So <laughs> it went, it, it just happened. And, uh, I'm enjoying doing it, and uh, it has a real role to play in the CFL in getting our ideas and our game out there.
0: I love how you said I find some of it quite enjoyable yeah. because hey, yeah. we all know there's the dark side to it too, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I love your passion, you know, for the Canadian game, and I think I hope fans in Montreal, you know, are embracing that because uh, I'll I'll be honest with you, Gary, I, I I'm not sure as 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 an owner, you buy a CFL team as an investment. Uh, you, you probably buy. A CFL team because you have a passion for the league, and I and I know the history of your of your father in law. But would that be a fair comment to make?
1: It's a fair comment, uh, but I don't want to back away uh, from the point. In my whole life, there's nothing wrong with a profit. Um, yeah, I don't think you buy a team in the CFL to um, how do I put it nicely to get rich or to get, but. The CFL has great tradition, and you should be able to make a good, reasonable profit for your investment. And if we go out there and market it right and give the fans what they want, um, one, I really got into it because I enjoy it. But two, I didn't go into it going, I'm going to lose money my whole life. I think is that's that a, a fair. Con-
0: I, I, I I think I think it's a perfect analogy because, as you know, as fans know, there there's three types of ownership in the Canadian Football League. You have community ownership, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Edmonton. You have the big sport and entertainment groups, Calgary, Ottawa, Toronto, and then you have individual owners like yourself and BC and and Hamilton with with caretaker Bob. And I I, I don't know is is it tougher in the position that you're in compared to the 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 other positions?
1: I don't know if it's just when you say tougher on me than the others. I think it's tough on all nine to come to consensus because we have different goals and objectives for our own teams on what we have to meet and where we want to be. But we all nine realize we have to help each other out to get there. And that's the tough part. How much do you give to go for the other and how do you help out when we know in order for this league to become truly great, we all have to be on the same wavelength. And that's the tough part, getting community-owned um, corporate entities and private to be on the same wavelength and be on the same speed. Some want it faster than others. And it's, it's difficult. But we have nine great, what I call, team leaders, whether they be board of governors or owners, and we're really working towards that, and I'm encouraged. I would like it faster, being a private owner, but I'm really encouraged by, by where we're getting to.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Gary, because I would I would contend that it's probably harder for private ownership to get public money for facilities. You know, you, you got a situation where, yes, you can get a new uh, stadium in Winnipeg. Yes, you can get a new stadium in Saskatchewan because they're community-owned teams. We're, we're having the issues here in Calgary. You know, I, I'm not sure in my lifetime we'll ever see a, a new a, a new stadium. I, I know you would love to make some upgrades to your own facility. Is that difficult, being a, be, being yeah. a private owner?
1: I think I even answered that on uh, Twitter last night. Someone said the perfect way, and the fans know I just don't think sometimes they know the difficulties or the way of getting there sometimes isn't feasible. And they said Montreal deserves and needs a 30 to 35,000 seat stadium. This, this, and this, and I'm going. It is, but being in private ownership, I don't have the money to build a 35,000 um, seat stadium. I'd love to do it, but for our is it 11 or 12 games uh, at home because the Grey Cup's not played at home and we're in it. But um, it's almost impossible. So you need to find a partner. Hopefully, you know, you get government assistance, which isn't readily available anymore. Um, And it's very, very difficult. So McGill, which isn't perfect, suits our needs at this time. But I honestly can't tell somebody even three or five years out that we'll have a new stadium. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd love to, but I can't. Uh,
0: no, I, I certainly understand that. And, and you know, we've seen we've seen both sides of it here in Calgary. We we were a community owned team in Calgary, and then of course I didn't uh, know that. Yes, okay, we, yeah. we were, and then of course uh, you know there was a in 1985 there was a big SOS campaign because this team was dead and buried and. The
2: stands of a Calgary truth-
0: Uh, Richie Hall was in tears on the front page of the uh, local newspaper, and there was an SOS campaign, and because it was community-owned, you know, Calgarians stepped up, and, and I think they sold about 24,000 season tickets. It saved the, saved the franchise, and then uh, Larry Rickman, uh, you know, took it over in 1990, I believe it was, and, and okay. I, I guess the point I was getting at, Gary, is, you know, we've seen different ownership groups here in Calgary. and 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 I'll be honest with you the worst ownership group we had was a California box guy you know his his name was Michael Federick he wasn't respected in the community you know he bought the team so his son could play uh, play quarterback basically I it, it, it was it was a little bit of a disaster and and you know I I guess my point is you know he he spent some time in Calgary but he spent most of his time in in California do you find that a challenge because you know you're based in Hamilton I believe and, and Toronto, got, Toronto. T- Toronto. Okay, I, I thought it was right. Hamilton. My, my apologies. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, so you're based in in Toronto, and you, you know, you're, you're sort of. I won't say you're an absentee owner because you're not. You're, you're very involved with it, but it, you got to be involved in that community. Is is that a challenge?
1: It's a challenge, um, but I found it's, uh, by air. It's an hour away. I have a steel business there, so uh, other than COVID, I can go there quite often. Right. And uh, Quebecers are lucky. Um, I didn't buy the team to put my son at quarterback because I have three daughters. Um, So they don't have to worry about that. Um, But uh, distance is a little bit. Uh, Quebec is also a very unique and distinct province. And uh, Quebecers are in themselves unique and distinct. I've learned that Uh, proud and, but real supporters of football. And it's our job to bring them back out. They were there. Um, COVID took a big hit, but even before COVID for eight, nine years, they had kind of lost interest. Uh, our team, uh, Mario led by our president, Mario and, uh, his team and, uh, Danny, although our record doesn't prove it, I'm telling you, we're making huge internal improvements in depth and everything. Uh, we're going to be there. We're going to be competitive every game. Um, so I'm really encouraged Uh, We have a lot of work to do with uh, TSN, um, because one, we have to get the fans out, but they got real used to staying home and watching on TV and doing. And I look at our viewership, if you look at the Alouette viewership and you combine, combine the Across Canada ratings plus the Quebec ratings, we have the highest viewership. Even higher than Saskatchewan, whether they want to admit it or not. So it's there. We can do it. But now I need TSN's help in saying, look, we don't want to take people away from TV. We want to get X. But we've got to keep making the TV viewership greater. And as we do, and we are, hate to say it, we need more money from them. Right? right. Um, I think that's going to come too.
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I love that vision, and, and you're right, because it, it always seems to be, and we talk about it here in Calgary and every market goes through it, you know, how, how do you engage with that younger fan? Uh, w- what is your vision? How do, you, how do you think we can engage with that younger fan in this, uh, in this game?
1: I know from our point of view um, what we want to do and trying to do, but uh, the McGill Stadium itself um, has some limitations um, with the younger fan. Football isn't to be all and end all for them to come to a game. They want to be entertained, of which football is part of that entertainment. Um, whether it be beer gardens, uh, a different area for them to walk around and talk while they watch the game. It can't just be football. We have to have so many things on their phones, apps that they can play and uh, feel part of, but not just watching a game. Mm. I really believe the younger generation doesn't
0: just want to watch a game. I think you're bang on. How's your French? Probably better than mine.
1: It and I am going to apologize, and I got to do it again. When I first took it over, I had a French tutor come in three times a week into my office, and I was learning it, and I was on Duolingo, and then about must have been three or four weeks into it, I remembered why. In grade six, which was about 60 years ago, um, or somewhere around there, I had to drop French because they told me I'm tone deaf and I can't catch this, this, and this, and languages wasn't where I should go. So it stopped. And then with COVID, I didn't get there. The best way to learn it is to be there. Um, I'm going to pick it back up. It's passable only. And I think I owe it to them to be bilingual. Um, but, as I once said in a speech about three months ago, I apologize for not being bilingual. The way everybody tells me and the way i speak i 'm not sure i 'm unilingual
2: <laughs> You and
0: me both and i 'm in, right. in the business for goodness' sake, so uh, right. so, so go for and, 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 and you know I, I hate to say it, but that probably is important in your market isn 't it?
1: It is very
0: important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's part of being accepted as, you know, again, I say an outsider, you know, coming into uh, into that Quebec market. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. Uh,
1: they've accepted it well, but I could do a lot better.
0: Yeah. Fair, fair, fair enough. You, you know, in, in closing, Gary, you know, I, I, I started about talking about, you know, your presence on, on social media. Are are, are fans in in, in your market saying, this is great, we like, because I I see what Victor Cui is doing in Edmonton. I I obviously see what, you know, Amar Doman is doing in in BC. I I think it's fantastic. We need more individuals like that in this league to engage. Uh, You know, is, is your market saying, hey, this guy's okay?
1: They are, but again, it goes back to, I'm hitting the rest of Canada more than I'm hitting Quebec because I'm not writing in French and English. Right, right. And, again, I'm apologizing for that, and I'm going to have to find a way to also get it out in French and English and hit the Quebec market more. But our team is doing a great job on it, uh, even using social media. So, yeah, they are very receptive, and um, it's going well.
0: Well, I will say one of my biggest disappointments this year is Calgary's not playing in Montreal. Damn, that's that's a great city to be in. It is. Um, <laughs>
1: I'm sure we will next year. <laughs> or it would be even be nice to meet you guys in Saskatchewan. We're there. It's just who's going to end up in the West.
0: Yeah, there you go. There you go. There right. you go. All right, Gary, this has been fun. I, I really appreciate your time. Love what you're doing no on problem. social media and, uh, and keep up the great work.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: On Football North, today we we are talking a little bit about the pros and cons of community ownership versus private ownership in the Canadian Football League. Morley Scott, uh, he's with a community-based team, 630 Ched, the Edmonton Elks, Kelly Moore, he is with CJOB, and of course the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are a community-owned team as well. I'm Jock Wilson, and uh, Calgary Stampeters. last time I checked, are a privately owned football club in the Canadian (laughs) Football League. Um, Guys, I, I think it's safe to say, and, and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong with this take, but on the surface, it would appear the most successful teams in this league right now are community-owned. I, I would make an argument that Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, and Edmonton are probably the most successful franchises in this league, although we don't see the numbers from, from privately-owned teams. So uh, why don't we start off with you, uh, Morley? What, what do you think?
2: Oh, I, I think you're right. I think even look at the attendance numbers. Those uh, those three teams are usually. I know this year is a bit of an aberration for everybody, but especially here. Uh, but those three teams usually are at the top of the league in attendance. Uh, they're usually making money, although it's been tough go for pretty much every business in the last couple of years. But uh, to me, I, I like the stability of that of a community-owned team. Uh, it's you know you know your ownership is solid. You you know your ownership is safe. You know they're not wheeling and dealing and doing things for other reasons. Uh, uh, you know that they're gonna keep the team and they're gonna they want the best for the team and it doesn't affect their bottom line. So I think as a board, however, it is structured in, in the three cities, as a board, they make the best decisions for the franchise and because they don't have to worry about anything else that can affect them with their other businesses and stuff like that.
3: Kelly, your thoughts. Yeah, I think uh, Morley's bang on there and, and just to add to that. You know, you can have a community-owned team, but you have to have the right person in charge, too. And as much as the Elks have struggled on the field, boy, uh, you have to be impressed with the way – is it Victor Quay? Is that the proper pronunciation of his last name? Victor Quay. Victor Quay. Yeah, Victor Quay. Yeah, you know, just the, the accessibility. That he has with the fans, and uh, the the accountability as well through what 's been a tough stretch for the elks, I think is really important, and you know you turn the clock back to when Wade Miller first stepped into the uh, CEO and team president 's position with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the franchise was an absolute mess. They were delayed getting into IG field. They weren't competitive on the football field, uh, but through Wade Miller's dogged determination uh, and also his willingness to be there among the people, uh, I think helps immeasurably. Now, It's interesting, Jock, you say that, uh, you know, the three community-owned teams are the most successful, at least at the turnstiles, and uh, certainly wouldn't want to disagree with that. But I don't know if it's the end-all and be-all. Winning still cures a lot of ails, Mm -hmm. and I can remember back in the late 90s when it was basically saved, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a community-owned team. uh, I think success on the field uh, is still the main determining factor for sure.
0: I, I don't disagree, guys, and, and and I look at the Calgary Stampede history, and, and, and we talk about pros and cons of community versus private ownership. You know, you can go all the way back to 1985 here in Calgary, where uh, the Stampeders were community-owned at the time, and this team had an SOS campaign. This team was on mm-hmm. life support. This team, I, I thought, you know, was not going to make it. and And what happened is fans stepped up. And they stepped up to the tune of purchasing about 24,000 season tickets, if my memory serves me correct. You know, we all remember the front page of the Calgary Sun. You know, Richie Hall was in tears because he thought the team was done. He thought he was going to be out of a job. With a community-owned team, I think fans are more likely to step up and support in yep. that way. If if Calgary Flames uh, Sport and Entertainment owned this team and, and they did an SOS campaign like that, I'm not sure the same support would, would happen, you know, for, from a private ownership. And, and then I take it one step further. We would love to have a new stadium here in Calgary, but I don't think there's an appetite for public money going towards a new stadium, especially when you've got, you know, an ownership group that is worth, you know maybe billions of dollars in, in, in Murray Edwards. And yet, you know, I look at the, the new stadium in Winnipeg, the new stadium in Saskatchewan. Would they have gotten those, uh, those stadiums if they were not community owned? And, and Kelly, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Well, I think a lot of it depends on whether if that is locally community owned, or locally owned privately rather, uh, or an absentee owner. I think that's a, a, a huge difference there. Uh, if it's somebody who's in the community, is philanthropic and uh, is always helping out, and then they look for help themselves, I think probably uh, you know there'd be a little bit of a difference there. And the first thing that comes to mind, while True North Sports and Entertainment uh, has certainly foot the bill for a lot of their ventures, they have also worked in partnership with uh, the various levels Of government, so I think that uh, you know it. It it all depends on the ownership, and you know when you look back over the years, and I guess uh, one of the best examples I can uh, maybe come up with for when times were great and when times were not were the Montreal Alouettes under the stewardship of the Wettenhall family. It all four years and years, I can remember Molson Stadium was the place. It was the hottest ticket because the Alouettes, you know, Anthony Cavillo and Ben Cahoon and company were playing so well on the field. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it became an issue about the absentee ownership of Bob Wettenhall when the team started to struggle.
2: Morning, yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Uh, and I think you really—it's way that it's got to be the way the teams kind of uh, present themselves, right? You, you can't be a community-owned team, but act like you're you're an owner, right? And, and you're running things privately. You still have to be open about things. You still have to be transparent about things. And I think that's kind of the problem the Elks ran into in Edmonton over the last couple of years, is that the, that transparency didn't seem to be there. And the fans did not take kindly to it. Uh, they were upset with what was going on the field, what was going on off the field. And I think the, the, the change in uh, at, at the president's level here changed that uh, thinking and and uh, you talked about uh, Kelly, what Victor has done, and, and he has done uh, so much for this community and so much with this team to get them back to where they were in years past, where people believe they're kind of a part of it. You know, they believe that they have a, a voice now and that the team is listening to them. That's something they didn't have here for for a, a couple of years, and, and it was important to bring it back. So I, I think it's, it's good to be a, a community-owned team, but you have to run it the right way still. You still have to, uh, you know, you still have to to let the community be involved in it in, in several aspects.
0: I, I think you guys both make great points because I look at the private ownership here in Calgary, and, and Larry Rickman was the very first owner. and and You could say, you know, Larry Rickman was good for this organization, but he was also bad for this organization. Larry Rickman, you know, threw a lot of money. Was it his money? I'm not so sure, but, you know, it was a very successful <laughs> era for the Calgary Stampeders. And, of course, he goes into receivership. Once again, the team is on life support. Sig Gucci takes over, and, and Sig Gucci, he cared about the Calgary Stampeders. He cared about the community. He just didn't have the Money uh, to make it to make it happen. So then he sold to Sig gucci and this is where the issue started for the Calgary stampeders When when Michael Federick took over, California businessman, all he cared about was having his son be the starting quarterback for this team. He brought in Fred fitteri It was a complete disaster for Calgary.
2: I didn't understand the culture of Canada, of the Canadian Football League, and of this city. Um, you know, and, and you need to. You need to understand. You know, when in Rome. You know, who's the Romans? You can't, you can't come in and, and, you know, expect to change things in a day. I'm sure his intentions were good and that he wanted, um, you know, the best for this organization, but... You know just maybe approached it the wrong way
0: and and the the stampedes never rebounded until you know the the local ownership group took over like Ted hellard and Doug Mitchell and John frizzani you know with a small partnership with the Calgary Flames limited partnership but that that was comu- that was that was community slash private ownership at its best, no. and I think that's where you make a a really really good point now it's a now it's big business with Calgary Sport and entertainment uh, you know taking over this team so y- you look at the pros and the cons so 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 let me ask you guys this question. What in your opinion makes a good private owner in the Canadian Football League? Because you know we see what Amar Doman is doing in Vancouver. I love it. I think it's yep. fantastic. I, I think I think Gary Stern is doing a great job in Montreal and yet you know could you call him an absentee owner? I'm not sure he's absentee, but he you know he, he, he his business is in Toronto, not not in Montreal. is, is that an issue? Um, Morley, you start.
2: I think it's important to be local. I think it's important to have businesses in the city you're in. But I also think it's important that if you're, a, if you're an owner of a team in the CFL, you hire the right people and you keep your nose out of it. I mean, uh, pro sports is littered with franchises who have been destroyed by owners who think they know what's best for the team. And I think that's where I think community-minded or community-owned teams have have a little leg up because they've got a board right who decides things and it's pretty hard for a board to argue with chris jones or the general manager the coach or whatever the case may be Uh, and and i think they hire people and let them run their franchises and i think that's the best way to operate if you're a a one majority owner you have to obviously be involved but you have to be involved with the community you have to be involved in all aspects but man you got to let the football people make the football decisions
3: yeah yeah You know, provide support in the ways that you can do that uh, that will also add to what the football department is trying to do on the field. And Amar Doman, I agree, Jock and Morley, he is hitting it out of the park. But again, this is a legacy business that uh, is local. uh, And there is no disputing. Sometimes you can see through the veneer, you know, when owners say they're passionate about this or they care about that. Amar Doman is bleeding black and orange. Uh, and there is absolutely no doubt about that. And I and I love what he's doing. He is supporting Rick Campbell and the football staff uh, the proper way by just trying to generate more fan interest, trying to find out ways on how to get more people back into BC Play Stadium, uh, while not interfering in the absolute least with what Rick Campbell and his staff are doing down on the football field. So I think that's really important. And you know again it it goes back to is the team successful i don't think the owner can turn a blind eye if you are constantly 2 and 14 3 and 13 and the fan base is dwindling i think then that's where you have to have the conversation with the general manager and if he also happens to be the head coach well you know that's just a matter of circumstance but uh i think if you can see in your whether it's weekly or monthly meetings uh, with your connecting dot to the football staff uh, and you like uh, the, uh, the efforts that are being made and, and you believe uh, in the vision uh, that I think, uh, you know, that's, that's the best way to, to be involved. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Gary Jock and while, I guess you could say there's absentee ownership there. Now that we have the advent of social media, Gary's doing a wonderful job of staying connected Mm -hmm. uh, with his fans through that medium. And I think there's a a little bit of an asset that maybe uh, the owners of the 80s and 90s did not have.
0: I guess the question I have is why would you want to own a CFL franchise? Because <laughs> I, I don't think you're making a lot of money on it. And I, you know, I, I look at past owners and Kelly. You mentioned, uh, you know, the Wettenhall family. They, they were fantastic for this league. You know, I I look back at the late David Braley. You know, some people say he saved this league. Bob Young, the caretaker. You know, he's been fantastic yeah. for the for, for the league as well. But you don't. I, I don't think you buy a CFL franchise for an investment. At least uh, my gut tells me. That, uh, or, or do you, or do you buy a CFL franchise just because you have a passion, you know, for the league?
2: morally? I think that's it. I think that's it. That's why you do it. Uh, and we've <laughs> seen that in BC. We saw that in Hamilton. Uh, as you mentioned, we saw that with David Braly. People buy uh, – if, if you're buying a team to make money, you're in the wrong business. If you're buying a team because you love the team and you love the league, then you're going to be a good owner. And and we've seen that in BC right now with the Doman. I mean, he's doing all the right things. He's maybe the perfect mix. He's a, he's a majority yeah. owner, but he's kind of running it like it's a community-owned team because – He's part of the community. He's got businesses in Vancouver. He's a he's a Lions fan. He's a guy who's gone to games for for all of his life. Uh, he's he's kind of running it like it's a community owned team. And I don't think he's in it to make money. I think he's in it to to save something that he's loved for a long time and 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 bring them to to new heights and and I mean a uh, big round of applause for him because he's doing such a great job so far and we're just waiting now for it to click and people start to come out to games. I mean, they had the thirty-five thousand for one Republic, the first game of the year. But since then, yeah. it's been in the mid, it's been in the mid-teens every home game. Sooner or later, people are going to wake up and realize this is a pretty good football team. Everybody seems to be having a good time at the games. Maybe I got to check it out. And they have a unique problem in Vancouver because. It's an hour drive or more for a lot of people to go to games in, in, in the lower mainland, right? You got to go across the bridge. You got to do all sorts of things. And, oh. and it's, you know, you got to find parking downtown, whatever the case may be. They're fighting a lot of battles in Vancouver that a lot of teams in this league don't have to fight. And, and that you know, that, that's going to be tough for them. But sooner or later, the fans of the BC Lions and, and football fans in Vancouver have to say, this, this is worth it. Let's go watch a game.
3: Yeah, and, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I kind of take a look at the ownership in the Canadian Football League as it stands right now. And there really are three succinct groups. You know, I know we talked about the three and six before, but, you know, you've got your three community-owned teams who are community-owned in every sense of the word. Uh, you have those three teams, and I'm speaking of Ottawa, Toronto, and Calgary, that are that are kind of part of sports conglomerates, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then you have the three teams who are individually owned, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the BC Lions, uh, the, uh, the Calgary, St- or sorry, the... Uh, uh, Hamilton Tiger uh, Cats. Toronto, oh, sorry, the sorry. Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yes, yeah, yeah. and the Montreal Alouettes. Right. So you know, I, I think it's it's a really interesting dynamic, you know, for uh, the uh, the ownership of the league. And I'll tell you one thing, I really really liked, if <laughs> you know, at the risk of being named the uh, Winnipeg uh, chapter uh, president of the Amar uh, Dolman Fan Club, but <laughs> I love the way that he challenged uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and I think. I think a lot of Canadian football league fans love the way that he didn't sit silent on that one.
2: And is there an issue with Maple Leaf sports and entertainment? Because, you know, they own all those teams in Toronto, but they don't seem to care about the Argos. I mean, they put out an app that doesn't have anything to to do with the Argos, but it's got the Leafs and Raptors and the soccer team on it. They do all sorts of marketing for those three teams, but they don't seem to, to care much. They seem to me, it looks like they own the Argos just because they don't want anyone else to own them. Oh,
0: I, I don't think you're wrong. Okay, let me ask you guys this question. You know, in Calgary, when it went from a community team to, you know, a private team, if my if my memory serves me correct, there there was a little bit of optimism because, you know, that there would have been so many struggles as a community-owned team. What if the Edmonton Elks or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers became privately owned? Would that
3: sell in your market? Kelly, you go first. It, it would have to be local ownership, and if it... it, it... Good Lord. I want to make sure that I preface this properly. I am using this only as an example. There is not uh, anything afoot where uh, True North Sports and Entertainment are going to buy the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but I want to use them as an example. If uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers came under that banner, then I think it would be very successful because you have the man at the top who is a Winnipegger through and through, bleeds the community, does a lot a lot of things in the community. Uh, so I think that would work well. If it was someone who the fans did not know from Adam and importantly didn't believe uh, that uh, they were in it for anything more than a tax write-off or <laughs> nepotism, uh, then I think that uh, it would uh, certainly... I guess... As long as the team was being as successful as they've been for the last three or four years, it would probably smooth over a lot of rough spots. But the minute that uh, the road got a little bumpy and they were back to being a 7-9 and or 5-11 and football team, uh, that I think that would become a real big issue.
2: I don't think it would go over very well in Edmonton. Uh, I, I think people here are proud of the fact that this team is is community owned, and proud that you know they kind of own it, right? Uh, if it did happen, it has to be the right owner. Like Kelly said, it has to be the right owner, and and I'm not a big fan of the hockey team owning the football team. Just because I think football teams in the NHL cities have to fight so hard for media availabilities. They have to fight so hard to get the spotlight. And and if you're owned by that same team, it's the same situation. and And I – and I wouldn't doubt it at all if something's good for the hockey team but bad for the football team, that ownership group will still do it because it's good for the hockey team. And that's where they make their money. That's where they get yeah. most of their spotlight. I don't know if it happens in Calgary or not. You know it happens yeah. in Toronto because we've seen that numerous times. Uh, and I think it would happen here if the hockey team owned the, owned the, owned the football team. Uh, the football teams, you know, they're the adopted child basically it seems.
0: I, I think you're bang on, both of you. Okay, so so here's a hot button topic: What if there was one owner for the entire league? Now I, I know that's been talked about. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? I, yeah. I'm not a big fan of it, but you know, some people say maybe the model would work. Uh, what, what if what if one guy with billions and billions of dollars bought the entire league? W- would that work in I, Canada? I don't,
2: I don't, I don't see it working long term in any league, really, just because. If if uh, let's say Toronto and Vancouver have the best TV ratings, they're going to somehow want to have those teams play the big games, right? They're going to get the better schedule. They're going to get the better uh, the better spot on, on on the schedule. And I just think that they just do doing what's good for the league at some points is going to be bad for some teams. And I think that's how that would play out. I mean, they they've tried it. What the, uh, the, uh, what would they call it? The Alliance, the American Alliance football <laughs> yeah. league, whatever it was called, the XFL tried it. It just hasn't worked in the States as of yet. I don't see it. I don't see it working here either because you lose a competitive balance, right? Uh, because you, you don't have teams trying to one up other teams, uh, especially when you're going for free agents in that because they're owned by the same group. So it, it, it just doesn't seem to have that, that competitiveness to it that I would enjoy.
3: That's a big fat no for me, Jock. (laughs) And in capital letters, uh, because in addition to everything Morley just said, uh, you know, all of a sudden now you've got one person in charge. So you have a singular vision Uh, for the league. And I always think it's important. You know, we just talked about Amar Dolman calling out MLSC. I think it's important for different uh, views and different ideas to all be part of the makeup because every market is totally different in the Canadian Football League. They uh, have uh, separate issues that they have to deal with. So uh, I think it's important to have uh, individual ownership. Uh, I, I just think it would be a complete disaster from a fan perspective because, uh, let's face it, <laughs> you know, uh, collusion uh, would certainly be a word that we would use
2: quite often. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this. If Nathan Rourke stays in the CFL and becomes a, ref- uh, a free agent in a couple of years and then the league is owned by one person where do you think he's signing toronto amen brother
3: <laughs> yeah or, or vancouver or montreal any one of the three yeah. major markets uh, but i toronto would be first in the pecking order for sure yeah
0: I, I think you're i think you're both bang on so so again hypothetical would this league be better off if every team was community owned rather than you know a, a, as you say the three different groups that are owning canadian football league franchises right now kelly
3: No, I don't think so. And that's where I say the markets are all different. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in the major markets, uh, and, and I don't... I wish uh, you know Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment would recognize that. Yeah, we actually own the Toronto Argonauts, and they right. do play games, uh, and and some fans do go to them. I, you know why we wouldn't want to grow that fan base? I have no idea, but I think in the major markets for sure, private ownership has to be the order of the day. Uh, but uh, I, I think in in places, I, I think Hamilton would do okay with community ownership uh, because there is such a love affair between the fans uh, and that uh, football team. It's really the only game in town, so to speak. I know that uh, it's close to Toronto in proximity and Buffalo as well, but uh, I, I think there's a real kinship there between the uh, the Tycat fans and the and the football team. Uh, perhaps Ottawa, uh, you could uh, certainly do it, but I don't think it would fly in places like Toronto, Montreal, uh, or Vancouver. Yeah.
0: I think you make a good point. Morley, you want to weigh in?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm the same way, and I think the best. I, I think the best way to have it, if you're not a, a community-owned team, I think the best way to have it is like it's in Hamilton, like it's in Vancouver. It, it's a it's an ownership. Uh, one person owning it but it feels like a community-owned team and I think no, that's no. what everybody should strive for uh, and it's certainly not what you have in in Toronto uh, Montreal's trying to get there and we've seen Gary out and about talking with people on Twitter and 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 really kind of opening up to the fan base uh, we, you know we know they love the owner in in uh, in Hamilton there's no doubt about that they've fallen in love with the owner in BC uh, Toronto it, that's the soft spot for me that's that's it's yeah. funny the, the 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 team that probably has the most most money backing them spends <laughs> the least money on everything, right? Uh, yeah. it's, it's, well, a, it's a they, weird situation
3: just- in Toronto. They didn't get rich, Morley, by spending money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is true.
0: Well, the, the one thing I will say with the pros and cons of a community ownership versus a private ownership, it's it's a great discussion. And uh, hey, this league has been around for a hundred years, and we've seen all different types of ownership bases. So uh, uh, we, we can move on quickly here as we wrap up uh, this edition of, of Football North. Uh, let me ask you this question, guys: we're, we're approaching the midway point of the season. Hey, Winnipeg's already already there. Uh, who's the best team in the league after what we've seen? Winnipeg are the BC Lions. I'll start because after I saw what the BC Lions brought to the table <laughs> this week, um, I, I I I'm I'm all in with the with the BC Lions. I love the weapons. I love the receiving core. I love I I love Nathan Rourke. We talked about him on the last uh, edition of Football North. Uh, I I think their defense is is a little bit underrated, even though they gave up a lot of points to the Calgary Stampeders, But some of that was on special teams, and and some of that was on mistakes uh, by the offense. So right now, if if you had to give me uh you know if we're heading into the playoffs, I would say BC would be the team to beat. Kelly, you might disagree with that in Winnipeg.
3: Yeah, and not wanting to come across as as a homer, uh, but I I would say right now it's a dead heat uh, between the Lions and the Blue Bombers. I want to see how the Winnipeg Blue Bombers play in the second half uh, when they get a little closer to full health. There's just some people that aren't going to be back for them, but uh, I'll tell you what, Brandon Alexander is starting to uh, come along, and uh, anybody who's watched this football club will know that uh, one of the key things that uh, got the blue bombers over the hump was when they put brandon alexander at safety uh but also as you guys just mentioned they've come through 10 straight weeks yeah. uh without a buy uh, so we'll see if uh, you know the buy is uh, a positive from rest and recovery uh or if uh, perhaps we started to see a few cracks with uh, what went down against the montreal alouettes uh, in week number 10 of the schedule. Uh, but. Uh, it was kind of interesting. John Rush, the former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, is very active on Twitter. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he asked the question, who's your MOP right now, uh, Zach Caleros or, or Nathan Rourke? Uh, you know, and I had said, well, I'm still going to go with Caleros because he's 3-0 and against BC and Calgary this year. Uh, But I also want to do it with the uh, caveat that, uh, you know, if Nathan Roark does what he has done against the likes of Calgary and Winnipeg, when they start to play on a regular basis, how could you not look his way? And certainly with that game uh, Saturday against Calgary, uh, uh, boy, to me now, uh, uh, the, the scales tip ever so slightly in favor of Nathan Rourke individually uh, and perhaps BC uh, collectively.
0: Morley, I'm guessing you've seen probably a little too much of Nathan Rourke this
2: season.
3: <laughs> way too much.
2: Way too much. It's been great. It's been awesome to watch him do things, but uh, seen way too much of him for sure. I was, three, three or four weeks ago, I was I was Camp Bombers, Camp Kolaris, but I'm slowly turning that around yeah. right now just because the way it's gone the last three weeks. I mean, the Bombers lost their first game of the year uh, to Monday. Montreal but in a couple of games before that they were kind of out of sorts and they weren't playing that well yeah um I mean the game here they you know Calaris completed only seven passes and they somehow still were able to get a win over the Elks in that game so I think the Bombers have kind of hit a hiccup a little bit a little bit of a speed bump but they also went 10 straight weeks right uh the BC Lions had two bye weeks while the Bombers had none through the first 10 weeks of the season so now the Bombers are getting a week off they're getting their rest we'll see how they come back uh Rested a little bit healthier, and they'll get some guys back too, as Kelly alluded to. So I think uh, th- it'll it'll all sway a lot in the next month or so how Winnipeg comes back from their bye week and and how they play. But uh, right now, it's pretty tough to argue with the Lions, even you know, they're never out of it. I mean, they've had their last cup, two of their last three games against Saskatchewan and Calgary. They were down and out early, came back and yeah. won them both in very dramatic fashion.
0: That's a great segue into uh, my final topic here for Football North, and, and that is the, the schedule. And you know, you mentioned two bye weeks for Edmonton, two bye weeks for Calgary, no bye weeks uh, you know for Winnipeg. I, I, I'm not sure I understand this schedule. Calgary, for whatever reason, doesn't even go into Montreal this year. It's only a nine-team league. I, I get it. They're trying to reduce costs maybe a little bit. I to to create a you know a little more of a rivalry, but I I I don't I don't love it, and I know talking to the coaching staff here in Calgary, they didn't love the schedule uh, when it came out uh, as well. Uh, what are you guys hearing in your markets? Uh, Morley, you go first.
2: I, I'm not a big fan of it, and I'm, I mean there's no way in a football season, especially in a nine team league, that a team should have two games in hand on somebody, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the BC Lions have. Had two games in hand at one point on the BC, on the uh, on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and that should never happen. Uh, I mean, two bye weeks early in the season like that is crazy. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't seem to make sense. A lot of it. I'm I'm not a big fan of the of the, the, the back to backs. All the back to backs. I don't mind it once in a while. I love the Calgary series, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and and I know you know the Winnipeg Saskatchewan series is great. Uh, Toronto Hamilton is pretty good too, except they're playing every week now. I mean, they <laughs> four of four of five weeks. They're playing each other. I, you know, by the time that fourth game comes around, everyone's going to be bored of watching the Tie Cats play the Argos and the Argos play the Tie Cats. It's just not going to be as fun. These are special games, but when you play them four times in five weeks, it's not special anymore. It's just boring and old.
3: <laughs> it's so well, true. I,
2: I I don't know Morley. Like I, after watching that game on Friday night,
3: uh, and that was only round two of this scheduled four round tilt. Uh, I I would imagine that they might have to uh, check the players when they're coming on the field for baseball. Ball bats and machetes because <laughs> they, they have a strong I never like to use the hate word but they have a strong dislike for one another already uh but you know guys I, I'm going to say this uh, I'll start off with uh, whenever it comes to uh, assessments of the schedule maker, I kind of liken it to being asked to pick the three stars in a hockey game. It's a thankless job, uh, and so I uh, also uh, always have that uh, in the back of my mind uh, whenever talking about the schedule. You know, from a, a football perspective, I know we've talked to the, uh, the Blue Bombers uh, and, and specifically Mike O'Shea about that because Winnipeg started the season with a back-to-backer against Ottawa. And they just ended Weeks 9 and 10 with a back-to-backer against Montreal. Uh, they sort of had a back to back from the Stampeders' point of view because, uh, uh, Jock, you'll remember, they played that game in Winnipeg, Stamps out a bye week, and then they had the return engagement uh, at McMahon. Uh, So in terms of the preparation, you're always expecting your uh, opponents to make adjustments, Uh, but uh, it does maybe lessen the work week by a few hours. Uh, It's interesting, you know, you always do want those rivalry games. You can't seem to get enough of them. But I think also you have to take a look at – uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 feel for the moment, if you will, what sense does it make in any world that the year that the Winnipeg blue bombers had Andrew Harris leave after such a terrific run and wind up as a Toronto Argonaut, would you not schedule an Argos visit to Winnipeg? Yeah. Uh, you know, it just, that, that's the part that, uh, I, I'd really like to know. I know there are scheduling issues, uh, jock i agree with you i think you talked about you know the any way you can reduce costs you're going to do that but uh boy oh boy i i would really like to sit on a meeting there and, and find out what the rationale was behind
2: that <laughs> i'll i'll leave you with a, with this with a phrase i once heard from daryl sutter when i was doing an interview with him he said there's two things you always complain about but can't change your relatives and your schedule
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Daryl Sutter quote. W's.
3: That's what I'm impressed. With, uh, without
0: a doubt. Yeah, no, it, hey, guys, I, I will say this. This has been a, a really fun discussion. I've enjoyed it. We all work in radio, so I do know for a fact none of us will ever own a CFL franchise, and that's probably a good thing. Uh,
2: that is true. very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs>
0: Take care, guys. We'll do it again soon. See you, Jack. Okay. See you, Kelly. See you, Morley. All right, that does it for another edition of Football North. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast and tuning in. Would love to hear your feedback. Maybe you have a topic idea for the show. You can always hit me up on my email, jock at am770chqr.com.